We're going to wrap up this morning our series. We've been talking about grown-up prayers where we have said that you know, over the course of our lives when we were, were being raised, if you grew up in church, we were taught prayers. And there were things about prayer that we, we learned, but a lot of our prayers were just simply us regurgitating what we've heard. And, and from when we go to bed at night, and now I lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I, Gosh, that was a really hard thing as a kid to say that. Like, wait, there's a possibility that that's going to happen? Like, I need to know right now. I didn't want to go to sleep. But we, we got in these places where we would regurgitate these prayers. And as we've gotten older, we've noticed that those prayers that we prayed as kids haven't, aren't really helping us right now. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus is teaching His disciples how to pray. And it wasn't that He had decided, and I want you to think about this, He's been with them for a while. And this topic has not come up that we can read in the Scripture where He trains them. Just willingly go, hey, by the way, today we're going to talk about prayer. He begins the conversation on prayer in Matthew chapter 6 after one of the disciples watches him praying and says, would you teach me how to do that? Now, it wasn't because the, this disciple didn't know how to pray. He grew up Jewish. He knew how to pray. He had spent time in the synagogues. He had spent time every day praying growing up as a kid. But there was something about the prayers of Jesus that drew him in to go, okay, something different about this. Not the same. Why is it that his, the way he prays versus the way that I pray, it just seems different? You ever been around people when they pray, you're going, why does theirs sound so much different than mine? And you, maybe you've heard said this, like, man, I wish I could pray like that. Right? Because there was something that drew you in, something about their prayer that seemed to be more powerful. And by the way, it's all the same, right? Because your communication to your Father God is the same as somebody you think is all elaborate. Prayer is about a heart, not about what comes out of your mouth. You right? You got me? So it's, a, it's about just the honesty of praying and talking to your Father. So when Jesus is sitting here speaking, they're like, okay, I, whatever that is, could you teach me how to do this? And Jesus immediately comes in and says, absolutely, but... Before he tells them what to do, he tells them what not to do. And one of those is don't stand out in the public and just start using these big lofty words or the Greek there would be babbling. Don't just babble things so that people look at you and go, oh wow, look how good that is. Look at, look at all they know, their knowledge. He says don't do that. And he, he uses a word to describe those people. Anybody remember what that word was? So those are hypocrites. Because they're only praying in the, in the public square because they want all this attention. And what, what Jesus commands us to do is something this, that is, is so personal. He says, when you pray, because the person praying on the street corner making a scene about themselves, well, they're going to they're get what's coming for them, which is their reward. And their reward is going to be the praise of man, which we know the praise of man will eventually just wear off because the people that will praise you in one minute will also turn their backs on you in the very next minute. And they offer you nothing but a high for just a moment. But he says, when you pray, go into the private. Shut the door and pray. And you will receive your reward. And now we know on the back end of this deal, because we get to see the whole story, the reward that we get in the private is the presence of our Father. That we can pray with confidence knowing that God hears us. It doesn't matter if the prayer gets answered or not. 
the blessing is you and I get to approach our Father without having to make some massive animal sacrifice and having a priest pray on our behalf. We get to go into a private place and have a one-on-one conversation with our Father. That's win number one because we should not be able to do that. Win number two, He hears us. He hears your prayers. He hears your heart cry. And we see this theme all throughout the Scripture. If we take it back to the book of Exodus, God said He heard the cries of His people. He was moved from the cries of His people to get them from the Egyptian strongholds to get them out into the Promised Land. And so Jesus would challenge us. He would teach us of being content in the moment, not worried about what's going to happen out, but giving us our daily bread. Understanding that God is our Father and that His name is holy. We're not praying to some being that's out there that we pray to a God who sits on a throne and reigns supremely. And He sets this up in this early prayer and the disciples are just taking notes. I mean, they're, they're like, okay, yes, we can see it. They're, everything's starting to click with them. And so Jesus moves them through this prayer and, and before He gets through the first half, the, the one of the pieces that really stands out is, is He's pushing this before you can start asking for daily bread, you got to get the first part of this prayer of understanding that when we pray, we are surrendering our wills to the not trying to surrender the Father's will to ours. Because a lot of times when we're praying, it's from a place of selfishness. Some, from a place of... And it's okay to ask. Okay, It's motive. It's heart. That's, that's where the, the thing comes in. And Jesus says that when we pray, it's, it's a matter of surrendering God. This is whatever, however, whenever, do what you need to do. And then they move on to this prayer. And that's where we get to today. Because today, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 6, 13, this is the last piece of the prayer that Jesus gives them. And he says, when you pray, pray like this. And this is one of the things. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that was the end of the prayer. Now that next part of um, to thine be the glory, the power, forever and ever. That was added later. This is the prayer that Jesus gave. And He ends this with this one. Lead us not to temptation. Now, does this mean that God leads us into temptation? No, He's a good Father. He doesn't do that. I, I was trying to figure this out because this always kind of like stood with me. Uh, God doesn't lead us into temptation. But I was thinking that every time as a kid I heard the word Walmart, I had a word association with Walmart. When I heard it as a kid, grandma said she's going to Walmart. What I heard was, I'm getting a toy today. That's what anybody else, you know what I'm saying? Your kids do the same thing? We're going to Walmart. Can we go? And so grandma picked up on this pretty quickly that I would associate Walmart with getting a toy. So guess what aisle we did not go down or anywhere near when I was in Walmart? Because she was not going to lead me down a path of temptation. Right? She wasn't going to put me in front of things that I didn't need. So... There was a point I was like, I don't even know that I want to go to Walmart with you. Then I started going with my aunt, and then she never did pick up on it. And so I got everything that I wanted um, from her, including an um, edited version of Bone Thugs and Harmony that I convinced her was a Christian band. <clears throat> Thank God she didn't read the songs. Um, but I got saved, so it's okay. So he says, lead us not... Lead us not into temptation. And deliver us. Deliver us from the evil one. When I think about temptation, 
I know, especially growing up in teenage years in the youth ministry, anytime we talk about temptation, we're like, okay, well, I can kind of be exempt from this because I don't have, I'm not tempted to drink alcohol or do drugs or, uh, or, or to go have sex with anybody that wants to. I don't, I don't have those temptations, so this is not about me. Temptation goes way beyond that. How about the temptation to participate in the gossip? How about the temptation uh, to engage in conversations in social media that you don't need to be engaging? What about the temptation to just to, to lie just a little bit about something or the temptation uh, that you may have to believe and buy into false information or the temptation that you know you need to sit down and spend a little bit of time praying, but Netflix is calling because you got to finish up the last 15 seasons of your show. What about those temptations? So it's everybody struggles with temptation. Everybody has a weakness. Am I right? And the devil knows what those are. I don't. He does. He knows exactly what bait he needs to be putting on the fishing pole and casting it out and bringing you in. So we all struggle with temptation. Now, here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, therefore, and anytime you see the word therefore in the Scripture, it has a very significant meaning. Do you all know that? you got to see why it's therefore. So, therefore, some of you catch that about lunchtime. Therefore, let anybody who thinks that he stands or standing firm, as the NLT would say, least he fall. And then he goes in, he says, temptation, uh, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And he says, God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. He's saying every time that you come up against, against the temptation, there is a way out. Why? Because God is faithful. God is faithful. So how is God faithful? God is faithful because He'll never let you be tempted beyond what you can handle. Let me say it this way. He will never allow you to be tempted beyond what He can handle. What He can handle. The Father doesn't want us getting caught in the trap. So He gives us a way out because life is full of temptations. It's full of things for us to, to fall into that would distract us from our relationship with God. So if we were going to define temptation, we would define temptation this way. Temptation is anything that promises satisfaction at the cost of obedience to God. That you can be happy in the moment, but it would cost you the obedience that you would have to God. It would pull you away from the relationship. It would stain the relationship. So temptation is us finding satisfaction temporary at the cost of our obedience to God. It, it would be not have, like damaging our relationship with the Father because we would rather pursue our satisfaction and not God's. Can I just tell you, when we pursue our satisfactions, then what we're doing is telling God is you're not good enough for me because I need to be filled somewhere else. I'm going to come back to that point in just a minute. Because the, the problem is when we fall into temptation, our brains will release chemicals that will cause us to, that felt good, and then you want to do it again, and you want to do it again, and you want to do it again, and you want to do it again. And, and you have, in the moment, you have instant satisfaction that always comes with some type of regret, most often long-term long regret. That 
it was good. I, I got to do it again. I got to do it again. And this is what causes addiction because you get that little bit of a, a spike in chemical in your brain and it's like, oh, yes, again, again. And then you feel absolutely miserable and guilty when you fall into temptation. So when Jesus is saying, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one, He is recognizing and telling them that you're going to have parts of temptation. You, you think that you've got this relationship thing figured out with me, but there's going to be times that things are going to come your way that you're going to want to drift away from what we have. And there's an evil one out there who has you marked as a target and knows exactly what it's going to take to pull you away from your relationship with God. So let me give you four truths about temptation this morning that will be helpful as we process what Jesus is saying here. Number one, I would say this, it's not a sin to be tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. We're all tempted. Have you ever gone to Krispy Kreme and stared through that window as those donuts just the glaze is just dripping on them? My bucket list is to lay on that conveyor belt. Anybody else? Any show of hands? All right, we're field trip. That's what we're doing this summer. We're going to lay on the Krispy Kreme conveyor belt. Probably going to go to jail, but it's going to be worth it. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's not a sin. The Bible tells us this in Hebrews chapter 4. The writer says, For we do not, say that with me, we do not, because if you miss that piece, we miss all of it, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. But we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he is without sin. Here's the good news of this verse. Jesus understands your struggles. He knows. He gets it. He felt the pressure. For 40 days and 40 nights, he felt the pressure as he was being tempted by the enemy. He promised him all kinds of things. All kinds of things. And you know what we see modeled in the temptation of Jesus? Now, the temptation happened before he ever started his ministry. Right? But the way that he fought off the temptation was with the promises of God of proclaiming the Scriptures and praying to his Father keeping that relationship because he knew the enemy wanted nothing more but to derail this whole plan so that you and I would not have righteousness. We would not be declared righteous to have this relationship with God. And so when, when the writer is writing this, he, he's saying that if you'll remember and just go back to our high priest, Jesus, was tempted. He was tempted. But he... Because of that, he is not unable to be able to sympathize and know our weakness. Here's the thing. This is why this should stir something in you. You're worried about praying that God just doesn't understand? Here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Yes, he does. He does. And he wants you to talk about it. He can sympathize with you. Because he has been there. He has been there. And so... He says, he in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Are you telling me that there were moments where Peter was just spouting off at the mouth that Jesus wasn't tempted just to go, hmm, I'd like to just lay hands on you right now. Do you not think that there was moments that Jesus had these temptations? They were there. Here's the difference. Because you've got you to catch this last verse. Yet without what? 
sin. So he didn't bite on the temptation. See, it's not a sin for me to stand at Krispy Kreme and watch those donuts. It is a sin for me to go behind that glass and just keep stuffing, 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 stuffing until they have to roll me out of there and send me off to the hospital for being in a diabetic coma in the moment. That, that, that's the part. When you give in to it. See, it wasn't an issue for Eve to say, okay, I see that fruit. Man, I bet that would be good. It wasn't, that wasn't the sin. When did the sin happen for you? When she bought into the lie that I can bite this and she participated into the temptation and look what it's cost. And every time that we bite into temptation, it's the same cause and effect for us. It's the same cause and effect. Because all it took for Eve was one bite. And Adam was going, I wonder what's going to happen here. Because if you'll read that passage, Adam is standing with Eve. He didn't do anything to stop it. He was like, hmm, let's see how this is going to work. All right, well, she's still alive. I think I'll take a bite too. All it takes is one bite. What our enemy wants to do is that when we, when we have been tempted and we fall into temptation, he wants to make us feel guilty about it. Y'all have the guilt sometimes? I shouldn't have done that. I just, and you, you just can't get it off your chest because you feel like, I shouldn't have done that. And then what happens is when we feel guilty, we will tend to medicate the sin. Because we'll say things like, well, I've already sinned. I might as well go ahead and do it all the way, right? Might as well. And it's kind of like giving us this mental pass that because we failed, we can just do this. But again, it's not a, it's not a sin to be tempted. It's the sin comes when we fall into the temptation. And we're all a target of that. Because here's the second thing, is that you are never above temptation. If Jesus wasn't, why would we think that we would be? We always will be faced with temptation. It can happen. When we say things like, well, that wouldn't happen to me, the enemy just kind of sits up a little bit and go, all right, watch this. Watch how this works. And he often will not just, and we're like, well, he's going to try to get me at my weakness. Sometimes the enemy will use your strengths to get you into temptation. The Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, let anybody who thinks that he stands, take heed. Guard yourself. Watch yourself. Least he's going to fall. If you think you got this and, and you're so full of self-confidence, what he's saying is temptation, the moment that you feel like you have all this self-confidence, it can't happen to me, you, you just paint a big target on you. And then the enemy comes at you because you're trying to do this by yourself. Again, Genesis chapter 3 is a great proof of what happens when we try to do things by ourselves without our relationship with the Father. Because I, I think that you and I have no idea what we're capable of. That we can mess this thing up in a heartbeat. We can mess relationships up. We can mess our finances up. I mean, it doesn't take long, right? It just takes one bad decision. One, one bad... And I, let's not call it a decision. All it takes is one sin. One bite. And, and we fall right into the issues. Because we're not above the temptation. We're, we're just not. I, I wish we were. I wish we could stand it. But we can't. So, so in this case, Jesus is like, you, when I'm praying not to be led into this temptation, because where am I praying this prayer? I'm praying it in the private with Him. I'm hearing His voice. I'm being made very aware of the struggles, of the weaknesses, of the strengths, and I need to be guarding myself 
against. Because the thing that's happening in the private is Jesus is preparing your heart and helping you to guard your heart. So when we come out into the world, when we come out of that closet, there are going to be fiery arrows shot at us from the enemy. Is what the Scriptures say. So we're never above temptation. So we have to guard ourselves against self-confidence. Our hearts are deceitful. They're deceitful. I mean, think about it. We, we're born and our parents teach us to do the right thing. To share, to give, to be kind. Right? They're not teaching you to, hey, when you get into K3, what I want you to do is take scissors and cut that little girl's hair because that's what we do. Right? That, I know somebody that happened to us. And he cut the girl's hair, so she was like, okay. So she cut his. Um, I want you to make sure when you walk in your class the first day is you just go take all the crayons off of somebody else's table. Right? Why do we have to teach our kids to do the right thing and not the wrong thing? Because it's in their system. Because we are born sinners. We do not have to be taught how to do wrong. We have to be taught what is right. To do right. To do the right things. Look, look at... In, the media is a great point of it. Just turn the news on. It doesn't matter what station. It doesn't matter what you read. It doesn't matter what newspaper. It's proof that we do not need any help doing the wrong things. The enemy has got a stronghold on us to just excuse everything, be tempted with everything, and not take a stand and say, no, I'm going to meet with my Father in the private and hear from His voice and be obedient to that and surrender to His will. I mean, you got to be very careful because we will think that we are above this temptation. We are not. We will fall in a heartbeat. But standing on the solid rock of Jesus, we'll be secure. Amen? I'll feel dead this morning. Here's the third thing. God will never tempt you. He's not going to tempt you. I used to think that all the time. Like, man, why is God tempting me right now? And the enemy's going, <laughs> oh, he bought that piece of fake teaching, God will test us, but He never tempts us. There's a difference, right? Why do we test? Why do they test in school? To see if they've retained this information, if they've got it, to put it to use, right? And sometimes you just give a test because they wouldn't stop talking. But the point of a test, we, we give driver's tests, supposed to be giving driver's tests, to make sure that people understand what happens when we put them behind the wheel of a car, right? And sometimes we wonder if they really took the test. But the test is there to see what we've learned, to learn, right? To strengthen us, to stretch us. And God gives us these opportunities to be tested. We, so we have... These moments where, where they're tests. So when God tests, God tests to push you forward. Satan tempts you to pull you backwards. Got that? So God tests us to push forward. Satan tempts to pull us backwards. So God tests. He never, ever tempts. And we see this all through the Scripture. That playing out. James says it, says it this way in James chapter 1. But he says, and remember... When, uh, James is the brother of Jesus, and when you're being tempted, because it's going to happen, do not say God is tempting you. In other words, don't be 
preaching that heresy. But he says, God is never tempted to do wrong. It's not even in his nature. Can't He can't. There, yeah, there are some things that God can't do. He cannot be tempted because it's not in his nature. And he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own, what is that word right there? Our desires. Because remember, we don't have to teach how to do wrong. We have to teach how to have the right desires. This is what we find King David praying all through the Psalms. God, give me your desire. He's a man after God's own heart. And even David left up to his own strengths. King David murders a guy, has a child out of wedlock. Probably there, there was, I mean, told this woman that she's got to cover this thing up, not talk about it. There was some, some spiritual and leadership abuse there, right? But God interjects himself into the situation to redeem David, to bring healing. Because David left up to his own, he's a man of God. This is the guy in the Old Testament. But given that his desires falls right into the temptation. So he says temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. Now what are we being dragged away from? Our, our relationship with our Father. Because here's what happens when we fall into the temptation. We know we've done wrong. We are too embarrassed to have to come back to God and admit that. I messed up. I failed. But again, if we understand Hebrews where it says that we can come to Him and He can sympathize with us, there should not be any shame when we come before our Father. And He says this, that it drags us away, but these desires, our, desire, our evil desires, they give birth to sinful actions. When we fall into temptation, temptation is our is a desire that we have and is giving birth to sinful actions. And look at the next part of this. It says, and when sin is, this is a key word here, allowed. When it is allowed, it will do something magical. It will grow. The one little thing will grow. And it gives birth, not to life, but it gives birth to death. Because we're bent to do wrong. So this starts with the desire. It turns into a sinful action. And then when sin is allowed to grow, what happens? Death. Sin never, ever, ever makes life easier. Ever. I would say this. How do we deal with temptation? I would tell you not to fight temptation. I would tell you not to be worried about being more self-disciplined. I would tell you not to be more self-controlled. Because if you're trying to do those things, you're eating out of the wrong tree. Because there's a tree of good and evil, and if you eat of those things and you try to produce those things, you will surely die. Here's the best defense for temptation. You ready? Being in love with God. Being in, simply just being in love with God. Why would I say that? Because temptation is a test of my relationship, not my self-control. It's not about how, what I can self-control. Because if I'm willing to walk away from a God who is so good, it is a test of my relationship, not of self-control. So when you're in love, you lose your appeal for the temptation. You lose your appeal for the desire of sin because we have such a strong relationship with God that our desire is to be with Him and to love Him, to serve Him, and to surrender our whole lives 
to Him. Which is exactly what Jesus pointed us to in the very beginning of this prayer. Is it not? So when we're tempted, it's the test of my relationship. John chapter 14 says, Jesus says this, if you love me, then you will keep my commandments. Now, when, when we read that, we think, oh my gosh, if you love me, and I got to do all these things. Like, that's your mindset. I got to do all these things. No, he says this, because this is the way it's written in the Greek. Hey, if you love me, you'll do what I command, because you'll want to, not have to. Jesus doesn't operate off a burden mindset to make you do these things. Because when we truly understand and love Him and spend time with Him, these aren't a burden to us. Our desires change. They change quickly because we realize that we have a God and a Father who loves us, who cares for us. So the commandments of God are no longer a burden to us according to 1 John because He first loved us. If the commands of God are a burden to you, it's not the command that's the problem, it's the love relationship that you have with your Father. That's where, that's where we end on that. Temptation, the, the, the result of giving in to temptation will be determined by the relationship you have with your Father. And this doesn't mean that you will never fall into it. What it means is you will less likely fall into it the closer you are to Jesus because the closer we are to Jesus, the closer we are to the light that exposes the evil desires of our heart. So he says, don't focus on the commands. Focus on loving Jesus. We have for years tried to push morality and not push people to simply Love Jesus who will change the desires of the heart which would make you not want to do those things. So it's a change. The theologian Martin Luther said these things, if you want to be close to God, you need these three things. You need prayer. You need meditation on His Word. And you do need some temptation. When I read that, I was like, I don't, but I don't want it. He says, but we live in this world where if you want to be close to God, you want a little bit of temptation because that temptation is going to tell you where your relationship is. It's like a ruler. It'll tell you how close you are because every temptation is an invitation to see, to depend on Christ. Every temptation that we face is simply an invitation to depend on Jesus. When we face with temptation, do we go to the Father or do we go with our desire? Our first instinct. Our first instinct, 99.9% not right. So every temptation is an invitation for us to depend on Christ because in our own fleshly nature, we do not have the ability to say no. We will take a bite of the fruit every single time. The last point. There is always a way out. Amen. Always. If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, there is no temptation. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He says that when we get to this place, of being with the Father and having these intimate conversations of provision and protection. He says, in those moments, 
we will begin to understand His true love for us as He is our Father. And it shifts the desires. And, and here's where, here's where my, my encouragement is for you today. Are, are you trying to, to live life and face the temptations that come your way on your own ability? Or have you surrendered those desires to Jesus? Because the Lord's Prayer is simply a prayer of surrender. Of surrender. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants a relationship with you. He has come to make you an adopted son and daughter of the King. One thing I think about when Jesus was being baptized. You remember the story? He comes down the water and Cousin John's in there. He's having a great day. He's baptizing. When Jesus was baptized, there was a voice from heaven. And remember this. The voice from heaven said this. This is my son, whom I'm well pleased. Keep this in mind. Jesus had not done any ministry yet for God to have said that. God didn't say, all right, when Jesus does that first miracle, I'm going to declare my, my love for him and that he's my son. Jesus had not done a single thing of ministry yet. And the father said, this is my son, whom I'm well pleased some of you are trying to work your way into this relationship with God. Stop. You're not going to get there. This relationship with Him is not based off of our works. It is based off of our, our desire to be with Him. All those other things will work out. I promise. I promise. Because when you have this relationship with Him, you want to do what He commands you to do. If you feel like it's a burden, reading your Bible is a burden, praying is a burden, talking to Him is a burden, sharing is a burden, it's not the commands of God that's the burden. It's your relationship with Him. We don't have to carry the weight. He has lifted it and simply wants to be with us. And the first line of that is being able to communicate our Father who is in heaven. Holy is Your name. Let's pray. Father, I thank You this morning for who You are. And God, I just ask in these next moments we would process and reflect on our desires versus Your desires and that we would surrender our wills to Your will. So God, just use this next few moments to stir something within us and let us be obedient to whatever it is that You're calling us to. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.